0: Are you looking for your next podcast binge to lose yourself in? Let me introduce you to a story that begins with sweet romance but quickly turns into betrayal and the far-reaching consequences of one man's deceit. It's an account told by the women whose lives were forever changed by it. You probably think The Stories About You is a podcast hosted by Brittany Art. And it's not just another podcast. It's an exploration of self-discovery, growth, resilience, and healing. And it's all told in a unique format. And this is why I'm so excited about this one. This is Brittany's story But she doesn't just host it like a podcast in the traditional sense. Through immersive soundscapes and the voices of the women affected by these events, this podcast creates such a unique experience that's going to make your headphones glow in the dark. I can't wait to get started, and I hope you'll join me. Listen and follow. You'll probably think this story is about you wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Wonder what therapists talk about over coffee. Well, we are three clinical psychologists Dr. Diana Hill, Dr. Ray Littlewood, and Dr. Debbie Sorensen. And we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Our webpage is www.offtheclockpsych.com, and there you can find resources we mention in this episode, as well as other podcasts we've posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Diana. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah,
2: I'm excited to talk with you as well. We're going to be talking today about behavior change. And I know for both of us as behaviorists, it's an exciting um, and motivating topic. Uh, So, you know, we all have things about ourselves that we want to improve uh, or change, whether it's health behaviors or how we interact in our relationships or maybe even our efficiency at work or our work patterns. And what I what I was hoping we could talk about tonight is some of this, the science, the psychological science behind uh, making sustainable shifts and making those shifts last in our behaviors, but also making uh, them meaningful so that we can also connect them to our values.
1: Well, that sounds good. I think this is a topic we both do care a lot about. And we have so much to say about this between the two of us that I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about it um, and learn some new stuff myself. Um, And who knows, we'll probably revisit this topic again. Yeah, there's a lot we could discuss. Yeah.
2: So I think that one way I'd like to break it, break it up is to talk about sort of three components that are important in behavior change. And, and the first component being this whole idea of willpower and actually how myths around willpower really get in the way of us making um, the changes that we want to make, make or the improvements that we want to make in our lives. The second piece that I'm hoping we can talk about is more about this concept of values. And that's a unique Uh, piece of acceptance commitment therapy, but really digging into values as being a motivator for how, what, what, actually motivator of what we want to change using our values as our guides. And then finally, I want to talk about this, this concept of tiny habits, which is from a researcher uh, named BJ Fogg at Stanford University. And it's a fascinating approach and really kind of, um, probably exactly the opposite of the approach that most of us take when we're trying to make a shift in our lives so are you well, that ready sounds for that? sounds great Go oh ahead. i'm
1: ready it sounds good good let's so, do it let's do it so
2: <laughs> let's talk a bit in starting about this idea of willpower and Oftentimes, you know, I I think that we think that we need to have a lot of willpower to make ourselves do hard things. And that's actually how we're going to kind of get through to make the shift of whether it's like start exercising or change an eating pattern or willpower to get through a work assignment or. And the irony is that willpower is much like a muscle. And it's a depletable resource that over the course of our day, all sorts of activities are impacting our willpower and decreasing it so that by the end of the day, say you had a screaming kid today and a difficult day at work and you were maybe didn't get enough food to eat and you had to use some willpower to get yourself to exercise over time, our resources and actually our cognitive abilities to exercise control over behavior decreases. Uh, So using and depending upon our willpower to make sustainable changes in our life can be pretty um, problematic and tricky because sometimes our willpower will be low. And if our willpower is low and that's the thing we're depending upon, we won't carry out the behaviors that we want to be carrying out. Do you have any examples Mm -hmm. of that, like with your clients around trying to use willpower to change themselves or
1: buying into this idea of willpower? Oh, I I don't even know where to begin. I can think of so many examples just off the top of my head. Like, um, you know, a lot of my clients who are struggling, I think a lot of times when people are struggling to quit something Mm -hmm. like quit smoking, I have a client I've been working with recently where quitting smoking is, is, um, you know, part of our sessions. And it's when, when people are stressed out, making a change like that is just very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, a big change, you know, and I, but I also was just thinking for myself, was it two or three days ago? Sometime earlier this week, I had a pretty stressful day, nothing major, but just one of those days, you know? Mm -hmm. And I kept eating all this junk food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, I mean, it just, anytime I was like near the possibility of junk food, I just had no like restraint whatsoever. And I, I mean, I felt sort of yucky about it afterwards, but I think what was going on was that the stress was just making it so that, you know, I couldn't couldn't quite inhibit that urge. Mm-hmm. There's so actually.
2: Absolutely- yeah. yeah, and there, there's actually some research on that in terms of one thing that actually increases our willpower is glucose, because one of the theories around decreasing willpower over time is that our brain is using up so much glucose it gets depleted, and so well, they've done studies where they've actually given people like Tic Tacs or a little bit of sugar while they're while they're studying or while they're working on something, and it actually increases increases their willpower. But, so but you're right. No, it's not a coincidence. That but, I was reaching for on my. Also- so, you know, it could be a problem if you're, you know, kind of always using your using sugar to get through, get through yeah. your day. Right. Uh, yeah. Kind Definitely. of could be contraindicative to some of your other um, valued
1: actions. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't think it helped much with my stress either. I'll tell you. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this idea of willpower. Uh, being uh, something that deteriorates over time has shown up in a lot of interesting studies. So they've done uh, studies, Kelly McGonigal, who's a psychologist also at Stanford, and she wrote the book, The Willpower Instinct. She talks about studies where people who are on diets are more likely to cheat on their spouses. So they're using all these resources to control their food and then kind of spilling out over on the other side. Uh, Smokers who have been without a cigarette for 24 hours are more likely to binge on ice cream. Again, so you're using your willpower in one area and it it gets depleted. can't use it in another Mm -hmm. area. Uh, There's some researchers um, that are Uh, have studied binge eating disorder and the sort of a model of restraint and restrictive eating that have looked at how restrictive eating is so closely related to binge eating, Uh, the researchers being Pallavi and Herman. And they actually have came up with this psychological term called the what the hell (laughs) response, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is we've all been there. Like you're trying to like restrain yourself from, from eating something. And then if you eat just one little piece, you might as well eat the whole box. And right. that's this sort of concept of like almost like a rubber band, willpower being a rubber band that gets stretched and stretched and stretched and stretched. And at some point, if you let go, it's going to fling all the way across the room.
1: And I suspect that might have something to do with the, you know, you always see that um, when people are on very restrictive diets to try to lose weight, mm-hmm. when they eliminate whole types of food or get on, you know, a very regimented diet that they might lose weight in the short term, but it's really hard to stick with those Mm -hmm. because probably that sort of what the hell or, you know, the, the rebound effect, right? After restricting for so long, it gets exhausting, right? Right. There's a
2: whole series of reasons why dieting is not effective um, in that way. One of being that rebound effect Um, others just, you know, your increased craving that happens when you're not getting enough glucose to your sure. brain. Yeah. Right. Um, and then also just an environment that doesn't really support um, you know, support these practices. But mm-hmm. so I, I you know, I think this you know, what you're also kind of talking about is this tendency in dieting is a good example of wanting to change ourselves quickly, focus focus on this big end goal that we're gonna get to, and um really kind of use our willpower to, to get us there. And you know one one example of that may be you know someone that I'll kind of poses you a question if if someone were maybe wanting to start meditating and then got inspired by meeting you know someone that was meditating an hour a day we all have those people that we want to aspire to be like mm-hmm. and so they decide okay I'm going to meditate an hour a day for the next 40 days versus someone who wants to start meditating and says, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to meditate three minutes a day for the next five days. So if you were to think about that, or maybe the listeners were to think about which one of these people are mo- most likely to be meditating six months from now. And kind of, you know, our, our instinct is, oh, well, why don't you go for the gold and do it every day for mm-hmm. 40
1: days? Right. It seems like if you really got in the habit, that would be, you know, good to establish the behavior right but then the question comes (laughs) yeah like
2: what if then 10 days in you get the flu and now you can't meditate for three days because your head is all stuffed up and you feel horrible Mm -hmm. and so gosh now you're 10 days into this meditation project you got the flu and you don't meditate for a few days the likelihood of you going back to and starting over at day one or you, you know, taking this back on is actually lower. And you may even feel kind of defeated. Like I didn't, I didn't get there. So why am I even doing this versus there's also something, a term coined by um, BJ Fogg called success momentum. So the idea being say you had success at those five days of three minutes a day of meditating and you kind of Mm -hmm. felt good at yourself about yourself. Like, Hey, I, I did it. You know, I set this goal, yeah. I actually achieved it, and now maybe I can bump it up to five minutes a day and just do that for five days. Over time, this person's going to also establish the habit of meditating, but it will be a little bit more flexible in that if you missed it for a day, you probably could figure out how to get your three minutes in. One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if right. you're right. going to bed at night. You're like, okay, I'll just lie down for three minutes and meditate, yeah. right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, there's just something so nice about that because it's so realistic. It just it seems more. you don't have to become this whole new person that meditates for hours a day. It's right. just a small thing that you can easily do. Right. Um, I like that. It just seems like freeing somehow. You don't have to totally change your life to be able to do something new.
2: Yeah. So more often than not, when people are coming into my practice and they've been they've been trying at something, Um, there's, there's usually some patterns that I pick up that say they've been unsuccessful in making, making a change. There's usually some patterns that I pick up early on in doing a behavioral analysis. And the first one being what they're trying to change is, is, is too big of a leap. It's too big of a change to be sustainably successful at, and it's requiring too much willpower. So Mm -hmm. there's this idea that motivation comes in waves And we have to be able to surf the wave of motivation, as BJ Fogg would say. We have to be able to move with the the fact that there is going to be time when your motivation is so low to do this behavior. Usually when you're in my office and you're talking about it or, you know, you're kind of theorizing about this change you want to make, your motivation is pretty high, but there's going to be times when your motivation is super low. And so we need the behavior to require so little effort on your part and be so habitual, like brushing your teeth. You know, some nights my motivation is so low to just get brush my teeth and get in bed, but I do it anyway because it's a pretty easy task and it's so habitual.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Do you that have any, sense. do you have any, um, you know, outside of the norm habits that you engage in or that you've gotten your kids to get engage in that, that have just become sort of habitual positive behaviors for you?
1: Um, let me think. Cause I do definitely the, the normal stuff, you know, kind of the brushing the teeth and, um, story time and but you know I mean actually well th- this is something I'm proud of is that I have them sort of used to sitting down for a whole meal for mm-hmm. the most part not mm-hmm. 100% successful at this but they we have dinner and we all sit down together and we stay seated pretty much um and I can even take them to a restaurant and for the most part they'll do it yeah. and yeah, and your
2: kids are little still—two and they're little, two and four, two and four. These are little ones; yeah. these aren't seven-year-olds. Yeah, yeah.
1: And again, I can't—they're Always like mm-hmm. that, but they, for the most part, they do that. So how and they you... try new foods. I mean, they're they're sort of that they. We've had some sec- success around dinner time trying mm-hmm. new foods and mm-hmm. and staying seated. Yeah. So my guess is that you set up a behavioral chain to make that happen. That
2: it started out not with just them sitting down at the day, dinner table but that you and your partner probably created that in some way.
1: Yeah, I think we did. I mean, I, I don't think we really thought it through that much, mm-hmm. but I think that we really, um, yeah, we tried to sort of encourage it, and we whenever it wasn't happening, I think we tried to, you know, get it back on track, and it just became, it just sort of, automatic now. Mm-hmm. It's, it really, I, exactly. I do kind of think of it as like a habit. We're all right. sort of in the habit of just right. sitting there
2: right. for a meal. Yeah. And so yeah. probably if you had a friend over that had two kids that this isn't automatic for, that are age two and four, and I'm sure there's plenty of people on this planet that have children that are two and four that do not sit at the dinner table or sit yeah. at restaurants.
1: <laughs> and again,
2: <laughs> I, I will don't, say you're oh, an outlier it. in this <laughs> department. Congratulations. Um, you. And they would probably look at you and be like oh wow look at her like she's got her kids just like sitting at the table either she's just been like given these two perfect kids or you know she's got something figured out and then they may go home and say okay kids new rule we're all sitting at the table for the next 45 minutes right, right? yeah instead of this has been something you've been working on for the you know yeah. for a period of time where you've made yeah. small iterations towards and now fact, it's become a while, habitual
1: please. Yeah, Yeah. we had to do a sticker chart. Well, we didn't have to, but we tried a sticker chart when we went through a period with my older daughter when she wasn't doing it. Mm -hmm. She'd get a sticker if she stayed seated for the whole meal. Great. Yeah, Yeah. we did actually an overt behavioral. Right. Nice
2: reinforcement. (laughs) Right. Right. So I I do want to talk actually a little bit about there's sort of two types of um, uh, behaviors that we can, ways that we can structure behavior. And this example of sitting at the dinner table is a good one. because. The first type of behavior is something that's called classically conditioned. So we're going to go back to like psych one here for um, mm-hmm. for those that, that either have or haven't taken psych one. But classically conditioned behavior are behaviors that occur after a cue or stimulus occurs. So for example. The, the old school experiment is Pavlov and his dogs and a lot of us have heard of that where they would ring a bell when they gave the dogs food and the, the dogs would salivate and after a while they didn't have to give the dogs food anymore they just rang the bell and the dogs would salivate. So in this example with your kids you have a natural cue that's occurring, mm-hmm. which is the dinner table. The dinner yep. table is the cue to engage in this behavior of sitting down. The playground is the cue to be to to do a behavior of running around. The library is mm-hmm. the cue to do the behavior of being quiet. So there's mm-hmm. cues, and we can identify for ourselves. Okay, what is the cue around the behavior I want to change? That's an important component. And then the other component that you were just talking about is the sticker idea, which is mm-hmm. classic. Uh, so classical conditioning is about pairing up behaviors. Operant conditioning. So now we want to think about the psychologist B. F. Skinner and mm-hmm. the Skinner boxes they used to, you know, use to train. The pi- with pigeons and yeah. all that. Yeah. All right? the rewards. <laughs> and the idea of, of, operating conditioning is you do a behavior and you get a reward. And um, so for you getting, you know, probably a pretty highly balanced reward for a three or four year old is a sticker. Mm-hmm. Adults try and do the sticker thing. And honestly, it doesn't fly.
1: No, <laughs> I'm like, it's the too stickers, artificial.
2: The yeah. stickers, the giving myself a star, it just doesn't quite feel as warm and no. fuzzy as it did when I was four. But we still try and change behaviors this way, which is kind of funny. And I want to talk but about I, some more innovative ways to do it.
1: Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, and, and I do think that even for, definitely for, you know, myself and my husband, it's that intrinsic reward of just enjoying yes. the mealtime together. And yes. I wonder if our kids actually feel the same way, because it's really Absolutely. the only time that the four of us all sit down together consistently and... yes chat and have kind of that connection. Yeah. So you might not think that that would be, you know, they probably couldn't describe that that way, but I think that they do enjoy it. Right.
2: And probably what may even be uh, an even more effective reward than the sticker would be the parent making the commentary. Gosh, I'm just really enjoying how all of us are sitting at the table right now. Mm. If we can insert the reinforcement of the positive behavior by making the commentary. Sometimes I'll just, because most of the time with kids, what parents are doing is commenting on what they want the kid to do differently. And instead of commenting on what the kid is doing, that you want to reinforce. Mm-hmm. So we just, I'll, I'll, I will go about my house and just like try and make like observable comments about positive things my kids are doing. Wow, look at so and so. He's working, you know, he's working so hard at playing guitar. Wow, look, you know, and engaging in that naturally will reinforce the behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the opposite of how we tend to, what we tend to do, which is we tend to focus on the behavior we don't want to happen as opposed to the behavior we do want to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So I want to talk a little bit more about, before we get into tiny habits this and, and values, this idea about um, the motivation wave and harnessing the wave. So we've talked about maybe making our behaviors pretty small when the behave, so that when the wave is low, we can still engage in them but sometimes that motivation wave is high. Maybe after this podcast, you might feel pretty motivated. I'm hoping that the listeners will feel pretty motivated to make some positive changes. And that when the motivation is high, we can actually capitalize and harness, BJ Fogg calls harnessing the wave. One way that we can do that is we can do a hard thing that structures our future behavior. So for example, um, one, one thing that I've been working on in my practice, uh, my private practice, is maintaining the 50 minute hour. Because as a mm-hmm. therapist, having those 10 minutes to take a breath or do some movement or write a note, whatever it is, is really important. And it actually changes dramatically the way that I interact with my clients throughout the day. But my motivation to maintain that 50 minute hour decreases the closer I get to 50 minutes. Because mm-hmm. I'm getting 50 minutes and my client's like in the middle of the story or sharing something really important and I feel like, oh, but this is way more important than me taking that, you know, two minute walk or stretching. And so I, I, my motivation is high at the beginning of the session, but by the end of the session, my motivation to mani- maintain the 50 minute hour is low. So one way to harness that that motivation in the beginning is to maybe set up by telling my client hey, one thing I'm working on is a 50-minute hour, so I'm going to really work on ending today on time. Mm -hmm. And I've already kind of structured my future behavior by Mm -hmm. setting that up in the beginning.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that we could do when the motivation is high, high is do something hard that makes the future behavior easier to do. So for some people, it may be, say, they want to exercise after work. They may pack their gym bag And put it on their desk so that when they're leaving work the gym bag is right there and they see it and it's easier to get to to go um, do or sometimes this is a little secret sometimes I'll wear my yoga pants (laughs) and I'll wear like an outfit that includes my yoga plant so I can go straight to yoga or do, uh, do yoga right away. So that Now we know
1: the truth now about Now you know you. the truth
2: about <laughs> If you see me in the black leggings, you know where I'm going after session today. Because honestly, that little effort to change is like too much. Like it'll throw me over the edge if I'm not going. I'm sorry. Putting on the yeah. yoga pants is too much.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I have the same problem with exercise because I tend to exercise at night. And if I'm either in my pajamas or haven't changed into my gym clothes, it's that little bit of extra effort to put on the gym clothes that sometimes it's like, just exhaust me. Right. And that's it.
2: Right. So it's, it's doing these behaviors that help out your future self. My motivation is really high right now. So maybe what I'm going to do is cut up a ton of the fresh veggies. So I have them available in my fridge for my motivation is really low later in the, you know, tomorrow in the afternoon when I'm going to grab something, but I'll know that those are available because I'm, mm-hmm. helping, my, I'm mm-hmm. helping my future self out. So when your motivation is high, think about how can I help out my future me? And then when you help out your future you, you can be like, thank you, me. You're so awesome. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for idea. doing that for me, taking care <laughs> of me in that way. Um, so we want to uh, also think about something called, called echo behaviors, which are behaviors that set up a series of other behaviors after the, after the fact. So for some people, it may be like making a commitment to... Um, purchasing, uh, say they purchase Audible because they want to They want to listen to more books uh, and, that, and have that be part of enhancing their life in some way. Actually making that purchase to a series thing that's going to come out of your account every, every month is going to set up the echo behavior of more you're probably more likely to listen to a book because you're already paying for it mm-hmm. um, or like a gym membership or things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I let's talk a little bit about values as motivators for behavior as opposed to shoulds. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I, I'd like for you to maybe think about, cause I'd love to work on some, um, some behaviors with the two of us, but are there certain things in your life or certain behaviors that you may want to be working on changing, making a shift around?
1: Yeah. Well, one thing I've been kind of thinking about lately and just have made you know a little here and there um progress toward this is um I tend to just have a really hard time putting myself to bed at night like I tend to stay up too late and I have a hard time shutting down in the evening because that's sort of the only time I have to myself um so and then I what ends up happening is that I'm so tired in the morning I hit the snooze button and then I'm you know, frantic in the mornings, and I'm running late. Um, so I'd really like to work on like just setting a better sleep routine where I go to bed, you know, at a certain time mm-hmm. earlier than I have been mm-hmm. and more consistent mm-hmm. More consistent. So you
2: so one one area you want to work on is getting to bed earlier and having it be a consistent change. Uh huh. I yeah. also heard in there. So I'm always kind of listening for values. I'm like a values okay. highlighter when I'm listening. I heard in there nighttime is the only time I really have for myself. Yeah, So there may be a competing value here. Like I want to get to bed early, but nighttime is also my time.
1: Yeah. Well, Mm. and a lot of times I think the reason I don't, you know, in my head, I think, okay, I'm going to go to bed at 10 or 1030 and go to sleep pretty soon after that. Um, But the reason I don't is because that's the time of day when I'm likely to start a project. And so around the time it's 10 o'clock and I'm getting sleepy, I'm in the middle of something Mm. and it's really hard for me to, stop doing that. Cause it's usually something I'm sort of into it and I feel like I don't have much time. And so, yeah, it's like, I should sleep. Well, there's a should, right. Mm-hmm. I should sleep, but I don't want to, because I'm this other thing's important too.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have, we have a couple of competing values. We also have projects that you get engaged. Yeah. In. Yeah. So one way to think about values is, that can be helpful when we have competing values is to use our eighty-year-old selves. I don't know why I'm just mm-hmm. thinking of this, but I, <laughs> let's bring her in. Okay, hi. Because, <laughs> because I think if we can think about our eighty-year-old selves and them looking—this is self as context, kind of in, in act—but them looking in in our lives about what what is really important. You know what 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 the eighty-year-old self would say to you around like gosh, if you were to get to bed early every night and how that would impact your life versus, gosh, if you were to finish this one project tonight and how that would impact your life. Do you have a sense of what of what she would say about that, about what's what's really kind of important here?
1: You know, I think it kind of depends on the project mm-hmm. and the day because I do something like sometimes that's the time when I get some extra work done that I care about, or mm-hmm. I maybe read a book that I'm, and I, I'm passionate about reading, but there's other times when I'm, you know, I'm using the word project pretty loosely. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, just vegging around or, <laughs> you know, so there's a little of both mm-hmm. and, and actually um, I think it's probably a balance thing and, and do those projects really have to, you know what I mean? Like, does it really matter if I get that extra half hour done on that project that mm-hmm. one night mm-hmm. at the expense of getting a good night of sleep and mm-hmm. being calmer in the morning, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
2: so there also may be something in there, which is sort of this middle, like finding your middle place, yeah. Yeah. that it doesn't have to be, Oh, I have to be like so-and-so that gets to bed at nine 30 every night, but maybe for you that there's a, there's a sweet spot where yeah. you could have time for your projects, but Still honor your need for sleep yeah. and honor your morning self,
1: which needs and you to actually, sleep. Actually, th- now that I think about it, if I was more rested, I think that maybe when I am working on a project, I'd be able to be a little bit more focused mm-hmm. you know, and efficient, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have to tease apart.
2: We have to use our values kind of in this way to kind of tease apart what, what is important. So what I'm hearing what's important for you is this well well-restedness in order to be you know, in the morning, more efficient, but also be able to be more focused and productive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one way to do that is to get to bed a little bit, a little bit earlier. Um, So there are times when our values are competing in that way. And there's also times when we can actually use our values as the thing that solves, it gives you the solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. because when I was hearing in there, oh, this is time, this could be time for myself. I'm wondering, oh gosh, is there a way you could incorporate time for yourself into your getting to bed earlier? Like Mm -hmm. maybe that could also be part of your getting to bed earlier is time to yourself.
1: Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Because one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things to do is to read in bed. Actually, I love reading in bed. Like for hours on a weekend morning, you know, mm-hmm. but that just isn't happening for me anymore. <laughs> nice That's right. Like, with coffee in bed until you oh, know yeah. ten a.m. is like heaven so. on earth for me. Um, but maybe something about that, like being able to spend a little bit of time doing something enjoyable, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. reading either in the morning or right before bed, mm-hmm. ha- but car- carving that time out. Yeah. So that could be a reinforcer mm-hmm. for you. To, yeah. getting, to yeah. getting yourself to bed. And I think that would, cause that's something I, I do fundamentally enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we
2: want to hook again, we want to hook our behavior change to, to a value. And I'm not fully convinced that you are hundred percent on board with getting to bed earlier as a value. And so this is, you know, in thinking about like, <laughs> what would getting to bed earlier do for you in your life? That's very meaningful.
1: Um, okay. It's the morning thing, actually, because I feel like I'm actually I'm okay, actually, tiredness wise. Uh-huh. I'm not I but actually, I think what it is, is that the mornings, it's my kids and being present with them in the mornings, Okay. because I just hit the snooze button, and I'm all groggy and everything just feels very chaotic. Okay. And I don't, I think I would rather have like a nice time in the morning with my kids and have them have a sense of calm. Okay. So that's the that, value. That's yeah, the, value.
2: That the value. Because I'm not, I guess the sense, so I'm a, I'm a early to bed type of person. And for me, like, oh my gosh, there's nothing that sounds better than crawling into bed. I will forego whatever just to get into bed. But uh-huh. the sense I have you is you're a little bit of a night owl. Getting to yeah, know you a little bit, yeah. <laughs> you're a little bit of a <laughs> night owl. And and actually it's the kids and the time in the morning yeah. and being able to be your best self with your with your children in this really short sweet time period before you send them off to where you're going to send them and you get to work right and mm. it's a, it's an important time morning time is an important time how we start a day how we structure our day in the morning is is sets up the whole feeling for the rest of the day so if we have Debbie coming in as her best self as mom and is calm and centered and not you know, stressing out and anxious about getting out the door and being able to maybe read that book that your child brings to you and say, instead of saying, no, I don't have time for that, that maybe that would actually be really reinforcing and and bigger, a bigger value for you about getting you to bed
1: earlier. That sounds wonderful. Okay. And actually I never really cared that much about my mornings being frantic until recently with the Mm -hmm. kids, to be honest. I think I've always been kind of like this and it never bothered me before.
2: Yeah. So I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about this idea of tiny habits as once we have a, and it's really good to do, I know we took a while to flesh out your value, but it's really good to do that for ourselves of fleshing out the why, because we may find ourselves coming to a dead end and a behavior change because we don't really, aren't really fully convinced about it. Mm -hmm. Like we really don't have the why and we may have to explore it a little bit more to look at what is the real why for me? I mean, we could all say we want to eat better because we want to live longer but is that really a you know a real why or yeah. we want you know? And so we need to really get clear on the why before you even move into the behavior change.
1: That's yeah, the thing. and I think I think you're right. You said earlier, you know, if, if it's not tied to a value, then it's more of a should. yes. And shoulds just feel like pressure and it's not it, it loses a sense of meaning and purpose because mm-hmm. it's we all know probably fifty things we should be doing differently. Yes. Um, but it just starts to feel like a big burden. Yes, but when you tie it to a value, it just there's something about it that gives you a little extra desire mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yes, and there's this other piece of noticing the discrepancies between our behaviors and our values. When there's a mm-hmm. bigger discrepancy, it's more um, uncomfortable for us, yeah. and yeah. so we want to start start to target those first. Like, where in my life am I just really feeling like I'm out of line with the person that I want to be, and whether it's you know how I'm interacting with others at work. Or you know what I'm doing in terms of like taking care of my body, it just feels really out of alignment. That's where we want to. That's where we want to start in mm-hmm. thinking about a behavior to change. So in terms of this idea of tiny habits, it builds upon this uh, taking the wave when it's at its lowest point. That our habits are made up of, sort of three components, and this comes from Charles Duhigg, he talks about the habit loop, which is there's a cue or a trigger. Going back to class condition, classical conditioning, which sets up the, the, the setting for us to do the behavior. And then there's the actual behavioral habit that we want to engage in. And then we want to reward our behavior soon after the behavior occurs. So for example, if you were going to um, set up a tiny habit, you would want to make something small enough that is very easy to do, and you would structure your environment in a way that the, the tiny habit could occur after this already naturally occurring cue in your environment. So we all have cues that happen throughout our day and habits that happen throughout our day. Actually, most of our behavioral patterns, a large portion of them, are repeated. We do the same thing. Every single day. Mm-hmm. This is why we have back problems. <laughs> we sit <laughs> yeah. in positions that aren't good for our bodies day in and day out. There's actually a whole uh, thing around changing our movement patterns in a way that's um, Katie Bowman. She talks about nutritious movement, so moving our bodies in in different ways and keeping our bodies moving so that we don't get into you know problematic patterns. So we could take an already existing. Um, behavior that occurs in our life and attach a tiny habit to it and thereby having a cue that triggers us to do this thing. So for example, for myself, um, I really, I like to exercise in the morning before my kids are up. And so my tiny habit or the way that I, it's not tiny anymore, but the way I've gotten to set up my exercise pattern is that my alarm goes off and when it goes off, that's my trigger to get up and get out of bed. And then I get up and get out of bed and I go straight to my coffee machine. And Mm -hmm. I have this, I I don't spend a lot of money in a lot of places except for coffee. So we have this really expensive machine and I buy this really specialty, fair trade, wonderfully roasted coffee and make myself a really lovely latte. And that is my reinforcer for just getting out of bed first thing Mm -hmm. in the morning. And that's the first piece or the first step of my habit. And then I've structured on other patterns in my, in my exercise to continue to structure my environment in a way that works for me and that reinforces that behavior so that it's in sort of a very low, the exercise isn't low effort always, but the, the, the making that pattern happen is very much just structured into my life. Um, that's a good idea because I think I
1: I enjoy coffee as well, but I feel like, or, you know, my, my routine is more that I feel like there are certain things I have to do before I can get down to the coffee pot mm-hmm. in the kitchen. So, you know, I have to get up and take a shower and do, get, you know, do all these things that I find less pleasant than coffee. Perfect. Huh? Maybe but that's I it up a little. But yes. that's
2: also, but you actually probably are are setting up a natural behavior pattern for yourself. You're doing these less pleasant things and you're reinforcing yourself
1: oh, for having done them true. by enjoying yeah. your coffee. Right. Yeah. But it's not um, helping me get out uh, um, get out of bed any sooner. <laughs> no, right. So if you wanted
2: to reinforce the getting out of bed sooner, yes, you probably would put your coffee earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Interesting. Um,
2: another habit loop um, that sometimes people do is use going to the bathroom as a trigger. And so BJ Fogg talks about he started with every time he went to the bathroom, he would do like three or five push-ups. Um, maybe he started with like two push push-ups, and then he increased it over time. So now over the course of his day, depending on how many times he goes to the bathroom, he, he does push-ups all day long and he'll do like 30, 50 push-ups a day and has gained ah. this sort of strength, um, huh. just because he's tacked it onto that, to the habit. Uh, so we want to structure an environment in a way, and cues can be things that are outside of ourselves or inside of ourselves. So a cue may be like an alarm going off, but a cue may also be When I notice myself getting really tense and angry and I'm about to respond, maybe get snappy at my partner or get snappy at someone at work or, you know, get snappy at my kids, that that can be a cue to engage in a new habit pattern. So I'm noticing myself getting angry. Could I take a deep breath and hold it while I count to five? So the behavior could be linked to something internally for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that's the cue. What about for you in thinking about this nighttime trying to get to bed earlier? What could be a cue for you to set off this chain of events to get you into bed a little bit earlier?
1: Um, well, I think there's uh, there's always a time. I don't, I don't know if it's always at the same time every night, but there's always a point where I start to feel sleepy, where I and a lot of times what I'll do is go eat a snack or something like that, just to kind of keep powering through. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's always a point when I think I just feel a little bit exhausted. Yeah. And I actually think at that point, one thing is that if I'm immersed in something, I kind of want to stay up. But the other thing is that it takes effort to get up and go to bed. Yes. So I think that's why a lot of times instead of going to bed, I'll either like just keep doing what I'm doing or grab a snack or something like Mm -hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But it could be at the time, you know, it could be that, Oh, it's 10 o'clock, but it could also be that it's, Oh, I'm starting to feel that tiredness. Mm-hmm. So a
2: couple of things I'm thinking about in terms of that one may be, you may need to do your future self a favor earlier on in the night by doing some of the bedtime prep earlier. Yeah. You know, like yeah. whether it's washing your face or getting into your pajamas or turning down your sheets, whatever your bedtime prep is. Um, but doing yourself a favor so that there's less effort yeah, to get you there. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. But, you know, it feels like a kind of naturalistic cue. I'm feeling tired. Therefore, I will go to bed.
1: Right. <laughs> and it does seem reasonable. Versus the it? other routes
2: that you're taking. It yeah. feels... Huh. Gosh, what would we... What would we suggest there? What? Oh,
1: I know. But this is is what humans do. We do all sorts of
2: things to, you know, (laughs) mess up our very naturally working systems that have wonderful things in place, like feeling tired to get us to bed.
1: But I think you're right about that. Like, if I could wash my face earlier, brush my teeth, you know, take a vitamin, all that stuff, that would be, that would make it easier Mm -hmm. when I feel tired to get in bed. Right. Because that is a big piece of it. It takes some energy to do those things. Right. Right. And, uh, and we know that willpower is a depleting resource. So when you've brushed your
2: kids' teeth and washed their faces and flossed their teeth, by the time we get to you, you've got nothing left. Right. Yeah, so we need to get true. you in a little bit earlier than that. So we have yeah. the cue and then we have the behavior and we want to make the behavior as tiny as possible, a small, tiny change. And so for, you know, for you, what would be the tiny, like a very small change in terms of a bedtime
1: Well, that would definitely be one, you know, brushing my teeth and washing Mm -hmm. my face before I get tired. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think if I just, instead of going from, I mean, I don't, I don't like go to the bed at the same time every night, but I certainly don't go to bed anywhere near 10 Mm o'clock. So going from where I'm at now to 10 o'clock would be a pretty big. Okay. So then your
2: cue would be be the 10. Yeah. Your your cue would be 10 o'clock. So you may structure your environment earlier by brushing your teeth and all that. But if we're working on the tiny habit of getting to bed, the, the cue would be 10 o'clock and the behavior would be going, taking myself to bed. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, and so we have the, we have the cue, we have the behavior. And then the third thing we want to do is to do a reinforcer and we want the reinforcer to be as close up or even could be part of the behavior change, but as close up to the behavior change as possible. And you talked about reading. So that could be, is that one that uh-huh. you think could be something that you would actually look forward to getting to? When
1: you get into bed. Yeah. Yeah. Reading when I get in bed, just carving out that time would be a good one. Um, I'm also thinking, but it might be to tell me if you think it's too far of a gap. I'm also thinking the just giving myself 10 minutes in the morning to sit down and just have coffee first thing. Yeah. But is that too far, do you think? Is that too far of a That's too time far. lapse? Yeah, okay. so now we're structuring a whole other behavior. So when we okay. do tiny habits,
2: <laughs> you're such a good client. Oh, I know. <laughs> when we do tiny That's habits,
1: actually do it. <laughs> we, want
2: to, we want to establish one behavior pattern that we have a cue behavior reward for. When it's mm-hmm. 10 o'clock, I'll set my alarm for 10 o'clock. When my alarm goes off, I will go into my bed and I will read my book. That's the tiny habit. Mm-hmm. Another okay. tiny habit would be you could do, and you can do like three tiny habits at a time. So another tiny habit maybe, and that's actually, I would say that one's actually a pretty big habit, but another tiny habit would be when my kids, when I'm done putting my kids to bed, I walk to the bathroom, I wash my face and mm-hmm. I look at my myself in the face and say, thank you. Mm. That would be a tiny habit. Another tiny habit would be when my alarm goes off in the morning, I wake up and I go to the coffee machine, you know, so you can do multiple of them, but what what I'm kind of pointing to is that you want it just to be a small behavioral habit pattern. And the sentence, the habit sentence is after X occurs, I will do X. Okay. So after said trigger occurs, I will do this behavior and I will reward myself in this way. And I really like, you know, intrinsic rewards of just like, Oh, this feels good. Like savoring the moment of how Mm -hmm. good it feels to be in bed and read your book,
1: yeah, you know, and yeah. making
2: it super cozy, like lavender on the pillow and, you know, like nice Whoa, lights. and Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I do la- every night spray, spraying down with the lavender, you know, like to, to really tend to these things uh-huh. that are important.
1: important yeah, that would be nice. I mean, I think just making it a little bit more of a ritual around that kind of thing. And yeah. And I might start smaller. You know, you said it's not a really a habit, tiny habit yet. I might just start... Maybe not start with 10 o'clock, start with like, uh, you know, 1045 and then inch it back a little. Right, right. Yeah. That, so I that's might, exactly. that might work a little better for me. Yeah. yeah. So, so you want to
2: get specific around, I'm going to do this for three days. Like we want mm-hmm. it to be a very also short time period that you're going to be yeah. committing to this too. Okay. Three days two days, one day. But I like the idea of it being five days is sort of what the research is around of do in the tidy habits work because that's enough time to actually for some like slips and things to occur and you want to be able to make iterations along the way. So it's much like, you know, finding a good behavioral pattern is much like a seed that gets planted in the right spot and flourishes. And, you know, I was, we planted a bunch of pumpkins in our garden this year and the pumpkins that I planted did nothing. But the pumpkin seeds that were in the compost from last year that just happened to pop up, they flourished because they were the, they were in the right spot at the right time, and they knew where they needed to be planted. The ones mm-hmm. that, that came up were like, I'm in the right spot. I'm going to be a pumpkin here. Whereas uh-huh. when I chose to put the pumpkins, that wasn't a good spot for pumpkins for whatever reason. So yeah. the same thing, you might notice that there's they, certain behaviors that you can get kind of going because you've structured it in such a unique way, in such, in such a wonderful way. And that really, we want to be flexible and be able to make iterations. Not that we failed at the behavior change, but that there's just more information when it doesn't quite go as we expect, that we use that information to to better the picture.
1: Yeah. You know, this is really interesting. When you said that thing about doing it just for a few days, mm-hmm. that felt so liberating to me because I listened to you talk about getting up early in the morning and having coffee and exercise. And I immediately got in that almost like New Year's resolution mode Yeah, It's so, in my mind. I was like, yeah. I need to be more like Diana. I'm going to start getting up at the crack of dawn every day and doing all this exercise. And so I could, my mind was kind of mm-hmm. doing that to me. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, I should be like that. That's, I want to from now, the future me is going to be right. up right. But then when you said, Well, why don't you just try it, you know this small thing and try it for a few days? I thought I could do that. Yeah. I mean, you just felt very I just felt so much more hopeful, right.
2: And I guarantee you that even those five days or three, whatever how many days you choose to do it, you will find, no matter that you make it pretty small, it still will probably be really hard.
1: Yeah. I bet it will. So gosh,
2: (laughs) we are setting ourselves up and we say, we're going to do this every day forever because when we actually start to do, I mean, there's tiny habits that I've tried to do. Like, um, I tried to do one of greeting everyone at the door coming, you know, coming in and greeting everyone before I did anything else. And it was actually really hard to establish the habit of just greeting people before I went and did, you know, just did one little thing, you know? (laughs) And so this is the idea of, we really need to make this small for it to be sustainable. Yeah. And then once then once we can we make iterations, we add on. We yeah. add on.
1: Yeah. And, and imagine, you do it again next week if you want to. Again. You know, you might yeah. Do it you might do it for a few days, not yeah. do it for a few months, and then do it again. Right. And then over time maybe it will build.
2: Yeah. It will build. And especially if you what, what I'd love for you to do is it doesn't work, then you make it smaller. Or you make, you know, you make changes in it Mm -hmm. when it, when it doesn't work instead of our, our pattern of beating ourselves up
1: yeah or just totally giving up, you know, saying, well, that's never going
2: to happen. Right. 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 So make sustainable changes, changes that matter. And if we, and if we also pause in doing it for today, I'm acting in line with my value and that's enough independent (laughs) of what happens tomorrow. What if I just were to do this today? That would feel pretty phenomenal that I did this, you know? So savoring that. Yeah. So good luck going off with your tiny habit. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that the listeners can do some of this practice um, with themselves and maybe pick something to um, do a tiny habit around and when you pick something and you're working on it I'd love for you to maybe post a review or share about what your tiny habit is and how it's going. So post a review for us on iTunes and and maybe give a little comment about uh, whether this tiny habit work is working for you. You can also check out a lot of, BJ Fogg has a lot of his stuff out there um, on tiny habits as well and you can participate in some of his research uh, for free and get some feedback from him as well if you look up BJ, BJ Fogg's work. We'll put of his information
1: in the show notes great well i've learned so much and i have to just say if i can do it you can do it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you diana yeah. this was super helpful great. have a good night you good too bye-bye. Okay. bye-bye thank you for listening
2: to psychologists off the clock you can find us on twitter facebook and itunes you can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com that's off the clock, P-S-Y-C-H.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.